Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. My youngest son recently asked me one of those questions you only get from kids. What would I wish for if I could get a genie to grant me any wish? My response was a mom-friendly answer. I would wish for everyone I love to live into a healthy old age, which is true, but half of me was secretly thinking, I just wish I could sleep through the night, every night. I mean, every night. Doesn't that sound amazing? My guest today is somebody who can help me and help you clock those Z's we all crave and need to function. For almost two decades, Dr. Janet Kennedy has been helping people break out of the cycle of bad sleep and all of its debilitating effects without relying on medications. She is a health psychologist, an expert in sleep disorders, and a believer that you don't have to settle for exhaustion. If you think a good night's sleep is just a dream, you do not want to miss this show. Welcome, Janet. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Janet, I'm so excited to talk all things sleep because midlife sleep struggles are real. And I want to kick off by starting at the beginning. You know, we get into bed, our minds race, we cannot fall asleep, let alone stay asleep. How can we get our minds to shut off and let shut eye take over? I think it starts before you get into bed because we really need time to settle the mind down before we ask it to do all the amazing things it needs to do for us while we sleep. You know, we didn't used to live the way we do now with with all of the multitasking, all of the information, the blurred boundaries between work and personal life, the social media scrolling, the being on our phones, even while we're relaxing and watching TV, the the input that's going on all the time is really overstimulating. And we can't just hit the brakes, dive into bed and expect to fall asleep immediately. So one of the things I really try to help people with is to understand what that wind down can be, what, what their needs are. And really, you need to kind of downshift. So if you're watching TV, just watch TV, put the phone away, look for like a singular um, source of stimulation and, and ramp it down and then have yourself um, a bedtime routine that appeals to you. It's something you feel like you get to do. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but it needs to signal that it's time to settle down, whether that's just washing up, getting in some nice PJs and getting into a a wonderful cozy bed, that's totally fine. Um, It doesn't have to be elaborate. But then once you're in bed, you may need to give your mind something to do while your body takes over. We tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves to sleep on command. And that rarely, rarely works. So what's a a normal kind of um, wind down? So you get into bed when my husband seems to start snoring immediately. And I'm (laughs) so jealous because I'm there like, what's happening? Why can't I fall asleep? So what's normal to fall asleep? And then what what would when should we start to be truly worried that we're not going to be able to do it? From the time you turn out the lights, it can take up to half an hour. Okay. But what's really important is what you do before you turn out the lights. Because if you're getting into bed before you're really sleepy, before you're ready to settle down, then the mind is going to keep going and it'll actually speed up because you'll be going through your lists of the day. Everything you didn't have time for pops up. 
Um, then you start to worry about not sleeping and not being ready to address all of these things the next day. So what I, what I recommend to everyone is to give your mind a place to go away from that stuff. So you can kind of separate what the body's doing from what the mind is doing. And the best, most foolproof way to do that is just reading fiction, okay. something you get kind of swept into um, so that your your mind is kind of, you're kind of throwing your mind a bone to distract it while the body realizes, okay, I'm sleepy and I'm going to pull you into sleep. Um, my number one uh, recommendation to people is really don't try to sleep. You have to let sleep come to you. And when you've had a lot of bad experiences with trying to fall asleep, we tend to lose trust in the body's ability to do what it's designed to do. So what I help people do is to kind of get themselves out of the way so the body can resume this very, very natural process. So when this, I love, first of all, I love to read in bed and I, you know, there will be nights where I can't make it through a page because my body's like, all right, we're done. You know, so I, I see that that's really an effective kind of wind down. And there'll be nights where I read for half an hour. If I get into bed early, I'll read. So I, I, I agree that it's a wonderful transition. And for me, it's just a treat because I, I love to read. Do you have advice? Should we be reading paperback books versus on a Kindle? If we're reading on a device, because a lot of people do, you know, they read mm -hmm. on their phones or on Kindles, should we be using blue light blockers? Are there any little hacks that you can share? So first and foremost, you should not be reading on anything that is connected to the internet. Okay. So if you're reading a Kindle, and you, you know, it shouldn't be a Kindle where you can open a browser and check your bank balance or check your email <laughs> one last time. So anything that plugs you into the day is just a no, no, a no, no. Um, in terms of blue light, um, you know, as long as it's not backlit and the light is, is flashing in your eyes, um, it, the effect is going to be pretty controlled. It certainly doesn't hurt to use um, blue light blocking glasses or a screen protector um, or even an amber light bulb or an amber colored book light just to keep the, um, the sort of melatonin churning as it's supposed to. Um, but reading, reading a book versus a Kindle is really a personal choice. Um, what if you don't like to read? And I, I don't know who those people are, but I'm sure <laughs> they're out there. So if somebody's thinking to themselves, like, gosh, this sounds like homework, I, you know, I don't want to get in bed with a book because that's not my jam. Do you recommend things like meditation apps? Or is that wh where do you land on that? So I think meditation is wonderful. And I think that it can it has a place certainly in a bedtime routine. I don't recommend trying to fall asleep while meditating, um, partly because if you get to the end of the meditation and you're not asleep, you may get more anxious and frustrated and actually have a paradoxical response. But also because I've actually encountered people who get sort of stuck in a light sleep when they're meditating, and it impedes the ability to, to get sort of fully out cold, um, for, for lack of better words. But um, you can get stuck in that kind of hovering feeling if you're doing it as you try to transition into sleep. So meditation, yes, but I would do something else before you fall asleep. 
if it's a crossword, I, um, that's fine. Do it on paper, though. I would not do anything on your phone. Um, audiobooks are also helpful. Again, though, you want to stay disconnected from your phone in some way. Um, coloring is helpful. Um, but but I would also challenge this idea of not liking to read because oh, you don't you. <laughs> have to read Proust, you know, like you can read, um, you know, young adult fiction that that's designed to really pull you in and feel like, you know. Yeah, I love um, that. I, I, I agree. I, frequent listeners to the show know my mom's a librarian. My dad's a book junkie. You know, we were raised reading. I used to commute to school walking down Manhattan sidewalks like with a book in my hand, reading as I walked. So like. We are all for reading. Anyone who's looking for some great books, we've had wonderful authors on the show. A Certain Age has a book uh, shop on the indie bookstore uh, seller bookshop.org. You can find it there. I'll put it in the show notes. We have wonderful, wonderful fiction um, that people can, can add to their list. But now that we've sort of covered a little bit of what you can do to help quiet a racing mind, you know, as you're looking to fall asleep, a lot mm -hmm. of people struggle with the opposite issue. They fall asleep but can't stay asleep, right? We're up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and I want to know, like, why are we awake at this awful hour? <laughs> How can we stop doing that? <laughs> well, we naturally wake up at different times during the night as the circadian rhythm um, goes through its uh, trajectory. Also, as you cycle out of certain sleep phases and into others, you may wake up naturally. Um, but that 3 a.m. waking is particularly tricky. It's one that it may be 4 a.m. for some people, um, but it can be related to low blood sugar. So if you it's been too long since you've eaten before you go to bed, that could be an issue. It could be hormone related, which um, is extremely frustrating, but, um, I do have some tricks for that. Uh, and it could just be a natural waking and then you're distressed by it so that you then go into the thought process of what's wrong. This is terrible. I'm going to be a disaster tomorrow. I really need this sleep. Why am I broken? Why is my husband sleeping? You know, why are you reading stuff? my mind, uh, Janet? <laughs> <laughs> because I hear that's this my every question. Day. I'm like, yeah. that's my inner voice. It's like, really? You know, my friends and I joke that we should all get together at 3 a.m., you know, because that's when everyone's available. Right. Um, so you said you had some, you know, some tips for hormone dis disruption. You know, m most of the women who are listening to this show are, you know, 45 plus and, and we're going through perimenopause or menopause um, and hormones and their disruptions are an issue. Like, are we imagining this? Does sleep change in midlife and how can we fix it if it, if so? Sleep absolutely changes. And the fix is really a combination of managing it. Um, figuring out if you need some sort of medical um, supplement or medication, um, and then acceptance, recognizing that just because sleep is different doesn't mean it's bad. So if you stop measuring it against the sleep you got when you were 17, when you were full of like high levels of, of melatonin, you're, you were sleep deprived because you were getting up too early and sleep just felt like an imperative, you're not going to sleep that way anymore. Um, but the sleep you get 
can be better than this sort of fraught, broken mess that that many women experience. So first and foremost, talk to your doctor because um, it may be that either it's uh, hormone replacement would be appropriate. Um, it may be that supplements would be appropriate, things like magnesium, um, maybe something like evening primrose. Um, I, there are all kinds of concoctions out there. I would stay away from the ones that have melatonin in them because melatonin is not really to blame for this. Mm -hmm. And um, when you, when you mess with melatonin, you're sort of messing with your entire circadian rhythm, not just falling asleep. Um, And so, so there absolutely talk to your doctor about what supplements and what medications may be appropriate for you. Um, Then you want to take the stress out of it because what we do know is that as hormone levels fluctuate and they fluctuate like mad in that perimenopausal, um, you know, year, decade, whatever it is for you, um, the, what that means is that your sleep is going to be less stable. You wake up um, more fully when you wake up during the night and it's harder to go back to sleep because um, your estrogen levels and progesterone levels have a big impact on that. So um, what the first thing I do is make sure that people are not going to bed too early because often what happens is you get stuck in a cycle where you're up in the middle of the night for a long time. Then maybe you get back to sleep for a little while. Then you're exhausted during the day. Maybe you nap, maybe you drink tons of coffee, but you probably end up going to bed earlier than is natural for you because either you're very tired or you feel like you have to maximize sleep. And what ends up happening is if you're sleeping out of sync with your natural biorhythm, your sleep is going to fragment more and it's not going to feel as restorative. So for example, let's say your natural bedtime is 11, but you are in this rut of being up for an hour and a half at three. And so you get home and you organize your whole life to be in bed by nine because you're just blown out tired and you think that's going to be better for you. But when I would have you keep a sleep diary, it would very clearly show me that on the nights when you stay up till 11, you do better. Either you feel better or the waking isn't as intense um, and your sleep starts to consolidate. So it's really important to look at how you're compensating for lost sleep because very often that makes the problem worse. So interesting. So naps maybe are not the right move. What about weekend sleep? Because I personally love to sleep a little bit longer on the weekend. Is that a mistake? Should I should I be more like of an 11 to 7 uh, person, like, you know, seven days a week? Or is it okay to occasionally sleep into like 9 or 10? Please say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would... <laughs> it... it it varies person to person. Some people are very sensitive to that. Other people are less so. What I would suggest is not sleeping extra late on Sundays okay. because that in particular makes it very hard to go to sleep when you want to on Sunday night. So you add to like the normal Sunday scaries 
the fact that you have not been awake long enough to have a really strong sleep drive and you've got a, you know, a perfect storm that leads to insomnia. So if you struggle on Sunday night, especially, I would be very careful about your wake time and certainly don't nap on Sundays. Um, some people need to be uh, very strict about it every day. And, and certainly if you're struggling with sleep, I would say do a boot camp where for two to three weeks, you, you are consistent through the weekend with your wake up time. Wake up time is much more important than the consistent bedtime, as long as you're not going to bed too early. Um, so like, if you want to stay out on a Saturday night, that's fine. Just know that you're going to get less sleep because you can't make up for it on the back end without paying for it later. That's so fascinating that you said the wake up time matters more than the bedtime in some ways in, in terms of giving us that consistent schedule that will produce ultimately better sleep because you know, when I think about it, it's more like, like, let me get to bed at a certain hour. But you're right. The waking up consistently is what's going to uh, orient us. I also, it sets your body clock. It's so interesting. And I also uh, just want to circle back for a minute before we change gears about this notion of acceptance, you know, accepting mm -hmm. the fact that sleep's going to look a little bit different. And to me, that feels revolutionary. I don't know why like that didn't occur to me because my life at almost 52 is very different from 32, very different from 26. And why would I expect sleep to be exactly the same? I mean, I, yes, I want a good night's sleep and I want to feel rested and like, like a good function, but it almost feels just like a weight off my mind to think, you know what? It doesn't have to look exactly like it did before to still Absolutely. to still be good. I mean, it's just like a mindset shift, which I I I'd never thought of. Thank you. Thank you for it's, sharing that. It's so important to take the pressure off sleep because when we shine a spotlight on it, it gets very scared and it runs away from us. Like we really have to trust in our bodies to do what they're designed to do and recognize that we are way more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. We blame everything on sleep. And yes, I, there's no denying sleep is crucial. Um, and that's all we hear in the media too. But every time a new study comes out, um, I get calls because people are worried that they're, they're you know, doing it they're wrong. Now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so the more you try to, to manipulate and fine tune it, especially if it's not broken, um, the, the more you're going to see issues cropping up. And the one thing I didn't say, which is most important about what to do for nighttime waking is um, as an intervention, stop trying to go back to sleep at 3am. If you know that it, at that 3am wake up, 3am wake up, you're going to be up for a while, then lying there trying to go back to sleep isn't helping you. If you can separate um, and sort of defuse that anxiety frustration response and just say, okay, it's 3 a.m. I'm picking up my book again, or I'm picking up my knitting, or I'm um, drawing a picture, or I'm, you know, who knows? It doesn't really matter. Then you're delaying that physical response that gets your fight or flight going um, and releases adrenaline so that you can't sleep. And very often, uh, my patients find that setting up this new habit of like, okay, I'm up, let me reach for my thing, whatever my thing is. Um, and, 
and they're going back to sleep much more quickly because you're subverting, you're, you're circumventing that freak out right. that keeps you awake. Um, and it's the freak out that is much more of the problem than the actual waking itself. That makes so much sense. What is your take, though, on um, medicines? Because I know that from looking at your website that you do a lot of sleep coaching and, and sort of CBT, like some you know th- uh, therapy and you know processes to help people move through this. But what is your take on sleep interventions like a CBD oil or um, you know ambient or, or bigger things? Like yeah. I know people take all sorts of things to fall asleep at night. When are these appropriate, if ever? You know, when do you think, hmm, too much? What is your take on that? I think, hmm, too much if it's every night. Okay. Um, So my feeling about prescription sleep aids is different from my feeling about um, CBD. Um, I like CBD. I don't think CBD is a sleep aid. I think it's uh, calming. It helps improve the quality of sleep. And there's actual data for that. Um, So if you're not taking it to help you fall asleep, I think it's great. Uh, Once you hand over the reins to something that, that is designed to put you to sleep, if it doesn't have a sledgehammer effect like a prescription medication does... Um, then you run the risk of getting into that space of being frustrated and anxious about whether it's going to work. As far as prescriptions go, I think there's a place for them. If you are in an acute um, insomnia episode, like you, um, you know, someone you've lost a loved one, you're going through a breakup, a job change, or you have a big presentation tomorrow morning. Um, You have to catch an early flight. You have jet lag, things like that, where you need to break out of a cycle or you need um, to to sleep in a way that is sort of not natural, like at the wrong time or something like that because of circumstances. That's all fine. But these medications are um, over-prescribed and they are prescribed in large quantities and people think they're benign and that it's just okay to take them every night. Um, And I just, I don't think it is okay to take them every night unless there's a real reason that you cannot sleep. The vast majority of sleep issues um, in the insomnia, you know, whether it's falling asleep or staying asleep in that realm have a primary behavioral component. I'm not going to say it's all behavioral in every case. Mm-hmm. It certainly is not. And so what would behavioral components look like? Like you're up to like 3 a.m. watching Real Housewives or like, or like, or you're drinking too much wine. Like, what, let's, so maybe this, uh, let me step back for a minute. So what are some sleep don'ts? Because I'm, I'm assuming that sleep don'ts are things uh, or behavioral things that are impeding sleep. What would be your top three don'ts if somebody wanted a good night's sleep? Don't go to bed until you're sleepy and don't lie there if you can't sleep. That's the number one. Okay. And do get up at roughly the same time every day. Okay. That's a do. I like that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, in terms of habits, uh, too much alcohol is an issue because it erodes sleep quality and makes you wake up more. Um, too much caffeine erodes sleep quality. And if you're drinking it too late can make it hard to fall asleep. But even if it's not keeping you up, 
it may be affecting your sleep quality. So it's important to think about that. Um, overly restrictive diets can be an issue. Um, not enough carbs. I'm not saying it should be high carbs or certainly high sweets, but mm. very restrictive diets can have an impact on sleep. Um, maintaining just good physical health, exercise, diet, um, and paying attention to your mental health. All of that's just super important for your sleep. Like if you take care of your body and your mind, sleep is going to join you. It's going to, it's going to find you at the right times. Um, you don't have to be perfect to sleep reasonably well either. Um, but the, the other key is to recognize that sleep varies from night to night. It's not always going to feel the same. Um, and that's okay. So again, it's about kind of, um, if we're talking about don'ts, don't put a microscope on your sleep all the time. What do you um, think about – at one point I was using a Fitbit because my mother was in this like crazy obsession with it and we were doing this, you know, challenge, you know, for 10,000 steps a day and it was really fun. And I was using it to monitor my sleep and I finally had to take it off my wrist because it was making mm -hmm. me feel about – you know, I felt badly about myself. I would think, oh, I had a good night's sleep. But I'd look at my Fitbit. I was like, no, you didn't. Fitbit, you know, showing you all these lines. Do sleep trackers make us more anxious or are they actually helpful? Uh, they're both, but mostly they make us more anxious, partly because the average person doesn't understand the normal structure of sleep, which consists of very little deep sleep. Like we don't get that much deep sleep on a good night. So what's normal? Um, Tell us, I mean, because I'm not sure. We hear about eight hours of sleep, like it's a magic bullet. So I'm assuming it's, is that even true? No. No. Um, okay. There are individual differences in how much sleep you need. And if you hold on to that eight hour thing, you're going to end up doing things that make your sleep problems worse. So if you need seven hours and you're spending nine hours in bed to try to get eight, you're going to get fragmented sleep with multiple night wakings, or you're going to be waking up too early, or you're going to have insomnia at bedtime. You're not going to be able to get eight hours if your body isn't programmed that way. Um, and it's more important to get consistent sleep that um, is restorative to you. So it, putting this data in the hands of you know, the general public from these trackers, um, it, it, you're not given the support you need to interpret that data. Um, and that's, that's, what's really important. What I do like is messages that, um, you know, tell people to prioritize sleep, to take care of sleep. You know, the idea of, you know, I only need four hours or, or bragging about, you know, being able to function on very little, like, that's not, that's not helpful. It's not healthy. Um, if you allow time in your schedule to end work, process your day, um, unwind and sleep, then your body is going to meet you with what you need. So what is, what, what, what would be too little? I mean, I, I, you do hear people say like, I function on five hours. So if eight, some people need eight, obviously, or, or less, maybe seven, what would be too little? Like, what do you want to shoot for as a bare minimum? Um, it really, really varies. Okay. Um, but I, you know, if someone is under six or six and a half hours, I'm concerned and gotcha. I want to make sure that that's really, truly all they need. Um, you know, usually pe 
people I see hover around the seven hour mark. Um, some people do need more than that. Some people reliably get eight, but the pursuit of eight has ruined a lot of good seven hour sleepers for sure. I love that. Okay. That's, that makes so much sense. Um, so that, that's sort of a big sleep myth. Are there other sleep myths that you, that your patients come to you with that are getting in their way? The myth that you should just try to sleep. Um, it's, it, that to me is the, is the toughest one because the more you try, the more sleep runs away. It's, that's also why the trackers are hard because sleep isn't, doesn't function the way your diet or your exercise do. Like you can control how many steps you take, but when it comes to your sleep, um, the, you know, the finger on that switch of conscious to unconscious, that's not yours. Like that, that's going to happen because you trust that it's going to happen and it's going to happen at the time when your body uh, decides to do it. Right. And we live in an age where we really feel like everything's in our control, you know, that we, right. Mm -hmm. That we can do whatever we want. We've got devices, they're helping us do our things and that we can manage everything. And, you know, I think this year, this past year has taught us that there, you know, we do have a, there's a loss of control that we've had, which has been challenging for people. But if we, Mm -hmm. if we, um, just sort of give ourselves over to being present, which was, I think, one of the biggest challenges of COVID, where it was just like, okay, I, I don't get to schedule anything next week because I don't know what, you know, is coming next week. And, and that was challenging. But we we all made it through that period of time. And just sort of to bring that spirit of um, just sort of being present and not like hoping to manage every single outcome is probably one of the best things you can do for your sleep. You know, just... Absolutely. Get yourself in bed at that right time. I know that we're wrapping up and and nearing the end of our time, but I do want to do a quick speed round with you. Okay. Before I let you go, because I still have a lot of questions. I could talk about sleep all day long, and I'm (laughs) I'm so fascinated by you and your work. And I would encourage all listeners to go um, to Dr. Kennedy's website when we're done, because she's shared some great resources on her blog. But we're going to cover some of them right now with our speed round. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So this is a question for me. A sleep eye mask, yes or no? Yes. Okay, good. Yay. I love my mask. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, I would say that if you can't keep it on all night, put it on when you wake up at three in the morning, because that's when your melatonin is really starting to dip and you, the darkness will be especially helpful. Ooh, good tip. Okay. Best sleep position, side, back, stomach. Depends. Um, Stomach is, is generally hard on your uh, low back side is typically best for alignment. Um, and back is also good for alignment, but, um, can lead to snoring. So it really depends on, on your anatomy. Gotcha. Um, All right. I'm a side sleeper going for that. So white (laughs) noise machine, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up. And I prefer, um, analog machines to digital because they provide a better sound screen um, you don't have to get them as loud for them to buffer the noise, and they're not as irritating. Nice. Weighted blanket, yes or no? I'm going to say depends. Um, some people love it, and other people um, feel very um, claustrophobic. So it really depends on the person. And also, you have to think about temperature. I mean, they're doing, they're more sophisticated now than they were initially, and so there's a lot of thought about temperature control. Um, in the, in the newer weighted blankets. This is a perfect segue into my next question, which is, is there an ideal room temperature for sleeping? 
colder, I mean, within reason is better. Um, you know, most people sleep with the room too hot and, you know, living in New York, often it's not in our control. Um, but you know, 68 to 70, um, you know, I wouldn't go higher than say 72, but, um, even lower is, is often better. That's because the body temperature naturally dips at night and, and sort of helping maintain that, um, helps with sleep. It's like a signal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we know caffeine, we covered alcohol and caffeine can sometimes interfere with sleep or quite often interfere with sleep. Is -hmm. there another food or drink culprit that can impact sleep? Can, can I have ice cream before bed? <laughs> yes, you can. Um, actually, ice cream isn't so terrible because it's, it, although it has a lot of sugar, it also has fat. So the fat kind of balances it out a little bit more. It's not going to, you're not going to spike in blood sugar as much as you would if you just ate cookies. Um, so, you know, you want to be mindful of reflux. You don't want to overeat. You want to be mindful of blood sugar. So having something before bed that is, you know, that has some protein and fat along with the carb is good, like peanut butter toast or avocado toast or something um, that can be very helpful. But, um, you know, I get asked all the time about good foods for sleep and, you know, there are foods that have tryptophan, but you would probably have to eat an entire turkey to get enough tryptophan. <laughs> you know, like it's not, that's not the key. Um, so it's more about healthy, healthy eating and, um, you know, being mindful of digestion Got and it. blood sugar. Wonderful. And so my last question, exercising at night, is that a yes or a no? Again, it depends. Some people are more sensitive and it takes them a much longer time to cool down. It's really about body temperature. Um, so if your body temperature stays elevated, your heart rate stays elevated um, for an extended period of time, it, you should probably allow more time before bed when you exercise. Um, I cer you certainly aren't going to be able to exercise and dive into bed. Um, you know, if you think about how long it takes you to stop sweating after doing aerobic exercise, like your body has to cool down um, before you'll be able to do anything, um, let alone go to sleep, which requires an even lower body temperature. Got it. So, so, so no, no uh, hot yoga right before bed. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been terrific. I, I, like I said, I could talk about sleep all day long. So I'm, I used to be in the pursuit of it, the elusive pursuit of it. And now I know I'm not pursuing, I'm not chasing sleep. I'm letting it come to me. So I've learned so much. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. But before we say goodbye, I want to make sure our listeners know how to keep following you and your sleep tips and your work. Um, well, the, best place to find me is my website, nycsleepdoctor.com. I'm also on Instagram at nycsleepdoctor, although I don't do it as much as I should. So really my website is the best way to find out what I'm up to and you can reach me that way as well. Great. And both of those um, pieces of information will be in the show notes, which listeners can find at acertainagepod.com. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when we kick off our October shows and our focus on women running small businesses. 
I'll be joined by one of the founders of the cannabis wellness company, Hello Again. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. Until then, age boldly, beauties.